This is a message I have actually preached before, about five years ago. <clears throat> Not here. I don't think I've ever preached it here, but I preached it before. And uh, I'd like to stress, not, be, not, not because I've preached it or before or anything, but these are, God, are Jesus' words. These are, th- this is, are, is Jesus' message to the, the people on, to the crowd at that time, nearly 2,000 years ago, or maybe a little over. And it's still relevant to us today. So I'd like to focus on that. These these are the words of Christ. And Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And what is mercy? What is mercy? Now, mercy is compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is in one's power to harm. That's one definition of it. Compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is in one's power to harm. So you would think of, of if you have, or I, have uh, been plotting revenge on someone who's done something wrong. And you've been thinking about this and thinking about this and, and thinking about it. And finally you have the opportunity to take revenge and they're right in front of you and there's nowhere for them to go and you have the opportunity to take revenge and you have a change of heart and you decide, you know what? I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let them, I'm going to not harm them even though I feel I have a right to do that. So that would be one form of mercy. You Maybe it's justified, and maybe you think it's justified. Maybe you feel, yeah, feel it's justified, but you are going to forego that, forego that, and uh, extend mercy and forgiveness. Another form of mercy is a relief of suffering. So, uh, and in Missouri, where I came from, there was a hospital called Mercy Hospital. It was a, a Catholic hospital, a charity, I guess they had. And they, would, they, they called it Mercy in that they extended relief to the poor. That's how it started anyway. And it, um, a relief of suffering was Mercy. They would, would be, um, it was a charity. But Mercy seeks to help people. Mercy seeks to help people. It tries to see the good in a person and temper the consequences with the person's good in mind. Justice, on the other hand, simply looks to satisfy the wrong. When we talk about mercy and justice, justice is the the penalty or the consequence of breaking a law whether it's a moral law or a civil law or whatever justice would be you break you break it you buy it or you break it you pay for it you break it you serve the time or whatever it is it's simply a penalty for that where mercy looks to temper the consequence with the person's good in mind Mercy is found in a heart that has love inside. It's another 
form. Mercy is found in a heart that has love inside. A heart that is completely lacking in love is also completely lacking in mercy. I believe so. Could we say that without love there is no mercy? We could also say that without mercy there is no love. They, love and mercy go hand in hand. Now we do know that every action has consequences. There is a, there is a uh, law, and this is in, the phys in physics, but for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction, I think it's called. Um, and there's a name for that. I forget what it is. I, I'm not, I forget what it is. But it's a, it's a law that states that if you roll, I mean, it, one, one form of it is if you roll a ball all the way as hard as I can and it hits the, the, the wall, it's probably going to bounce back because it, uh, at least if the wall is totally solid and the ball is totally solid, it will, <laughs> it'll bounce back. There's a, there is a consequence for crashing into an immovable object. Um, but then when we have laws, we have a law that says thou shalt not, well, our laws are worded a little more legalistic maybe in our, in our country, but in, in the Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. And there was also this uh, thing, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was consequences for actions. Every action has consequences. But imagine with me for a bit a world without any mercy. Every wrong is corrected through the justice of the law. The law is impartial. If you are guilty, you pay the price. Too bad for you if the price is more than you can pay. If you kill someone, you die. And in the Old Testament, it made no difference that it was an accident. I say it made no difference. If, if, an, if it was an accident and, and um, they killed somebody by accident, chopping wood, for example, and the axe head flew off and killed the guy, the other guy, there was a way for them to not be killed. They had to run for one of the cities of refuge. And if they get to the city of refuge in time, then they can't, the other family, person's family can't kill them without a trial. If, if the trial, if they found that it was actual, it was intentional, then there was, then there was consequences. But if it was an accident, then he could stay in the city of refuge and he couldn't be killed while he was there. But if he got out of the city of refuge, then he was fair game for the family to extract the teeth or the eye or kill him or whatever that do a like consequence to them. <clears throat> you know, there was a, when I was about six years old, there was a family that had adopted a girl that was autistic. It was same age as me. She was autistic and she couldn't talk, but she had a very active mind. She had an active mind, but she couldn't really talk very well 
or didn't talk. And they had, a, they had built a fence, a chain-link fence around their property. They lived along a highway. And they built this chain-link fence around the highway, around their property. But they didn't realize that she, or maybe they forgot to lock the gate, or I forget what it was. But she ended up running out, or going out, opening the gate, and going out onto the highway in front of a semi-truck. And she got run over and killed. Now, the truck driver couldn't help it. There was no way that, not, not really couldn't help it. I mean, she just, she, she had a habit of just darting around, just not paying attention. Well, she didn't, her actions didn't make sense. But she ran in front of this truck, and um, the truck driver was just devastated. He just... Yeah, there was not anything he could do. And there was witnesses there that were able to see it and all that. But there just wasn't anything he could do. But strict justice under what I would call the Old Testament law or even a law in general is that there was a life taken. And... Yeah, in, in the Old Testament times, he would have had to run to the city, the nearest city of refuge. didn't matter if it was an accident or not. But in our country here, many of our laws, our consequences are tempered with, with a form of mercy. Now, John relates a story, and I know I've, I've used this here recently, but... John relates a story in John 8 where Jesus showed mercy to someone. We call it the woman that was taken in adultery. If you turn to John 8, verse 1, I'm going to read that account here again. But Jesus showed mercy. When Jesus was here on earth, he was in the same form of... um, of law that was the, around for, for a long time. But Jesus, in his compassion for humanity, exemplified mercy. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives in John 8, 1. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. So this, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. 
Um, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, he didn't say it like that. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And there's a lot of questions here on all the whys and wherefores of how they were able to catch her in the very act and all that. But the bottom line is that these men were not innocent. Innocent men. And Jesus knew that. But the law of Moses said, Whosoever committeth adultery, let him die the death, or something like that. It's, they, they needed to be stoned. But both parties really should be stoned. And they, yeah, just imagine with me, early in the morning, Jesus is there in the temple, and he's teaching. There's a crowd around him, and there's a group of people that are, that are gathered there listening to what he has to say. They're just they're listening to him and they're and he's talking. I don't know how Jesus did his teaching exactly, but it seemed like he always had a crowd or often had a crowd around him. So he spent time with people. And he spent time and he visited with them and he, he talked to them and he he taught them and he listened to them. But all of a sudden there's this crowd that comes walking in there dragging somebody and the group watches and heads turn and they see these men coming up there dragging an embarrassed and scared looking woman with them so these men are leaders they've got the they have the credentials they have the the reputation they have the the look of the i'm going to call it the society And they, not one of these men has ever not thought about not tithing. They have, they even tithe on the salt and the pepper. Imagine that. So you got, yeah, tithe on whatever they own. Some of them did. I don't know if this, they were this brand of Pharisee or not, but they were a, a brand. Some of them would, would tithe on the, on the spices that they have in the cabinet. Of course, they have a scale, an accurate scale. They don't want to get more than they have to, but they get exactly the amount. You know, so there's over here you've got Simeon. Simeon's got a reputation for long prayers. Simeon's a spiritual man. He can pray. He's a, he's a good prayer. Simeon's got a reputation for long prayers. He thinks they're beautiful, but everybody else just thinks they're long. And Absalom can trace his family history all the way back to Abraham seven different ways. And Eliab is considered an authority on the commandments, and he's also the oldest one in the group. This is my own words here. But they've got this issue sewed up, and they are going to publicly embarrass the other teacher and make him leave town. That was their purpose, the whole purpose of this. And they come to Jesus, and Simeon, in as polite a voice as he can say, says, 
Master, this woman was caught in adultery. And we have the proof here. This woman is guilty. And Moses says that she needs to be stoned. But what do you say? He's, he understands that Jesus is a man of mercy. But he's holding the law up. There's a consequence here. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And Absalom's there nodding. Yep, yep, yep. They all nod. Everyone. All the ones in this group, they're nodding. Up. Yep, that's right, that's right. And uh, so, Jesus, what do you say? We understand you're a man of mercy. Do we let her go or don't we? You know, Jesus could have taken many different forms here. He knew their hearts, and he knew what they thought, and he knew how they caught this woman in adultery, and he knew how all the background here, he knew it. And he could have said, he could have just told them what was what. Was what. But he didn't do that. Jesus is a man of mercy. He was a teacher of mercy. And he just was, he was writing something on the ground, in the dust, just writing and writing. And these men, it's kind of hard to argue with somebody that doesn't argue back, isn't it? You ever tried that? It's, uh, he's just writing, and here they are. And finally, and they tell him, they tell him the circumstances here. What do you say? And Jesus just keeps writing. And finally he looks up and he says, Whoever is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. He didn't say that Moses was wrong. And he didn't say that he was right. He recognized that it was there. But he turned, he told them it, the, this phrase in such a way that they had to look at their own heart and by them following the law they were admitting that they were without sin and they couldn't do it they could not do it and it says that they left from the from the oldest to the youngest they just walked out all of them and they left this the lady was there, and she didn't know what to do. She was just standing here, and the people that dragged her here all left. And um, here she was in front of Jesus, and he wasn't even the one that caught her. <laughs> and so she just stood there, and Jesus asked if there's anybody else here that's ready to accuse her, and she said, no, there's no one here. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. You go. You have a clean slate. And Go and sin no more. Jesus illustrated mercy in this story. I love this story, and I, I probably focus on it. I know I focused on it here in the, in the last few, last month or two. But it's, it's a story of mercy. And Jesus was a man of mercy. He was a teacher of mercy. He looked out for the good of the poor, of the poor woman, and the poor people in general, the people... Rich people, poor people, it didn't matter. He was looking out for their good. He was also teaching us a lesson. 
But I'd like to ask us today, how do we view life? Do we, do we class ourselves as black and white individuals that we, if this happens, then this is the consequence. If this happens, then this is the consequence. You know, it's, it's good to know where we stand in life. But do we have a heart for people? Are we willing to be like Jesus and, and, and temper or, and look out for the good in other people? Or do we have a punishment figured out for every case of wrongdoing that we find out about? Are we able to recognize potential in other people? And what are my attitudes? What are my attitudes towards people in general? Do I class, do I have in my mind a rating, this person is all bad and then the next person is partly bad and then we have the good ones or the whatever and we, yeah. And so we have a system of mercy based on, on the kind of people that we run into. Is that how we look at life? Is that how we look at life and people in general? Another aspect of mercy is mercy and forgiveness. You know, forgiveness can't happen without mercy. For justice to be done, the other person needs to pay. That's justice. And there are consequences to, to life, to actions that we do sometimes. There are, there are actions, I mean consequences, for actions. But forgiveness is releasing the other person of their obligation to pay me. And it takes mercy to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is truly an example of mercy because without mercy forgiveness cannot happen without mercy forgiveness can't happen turn to Matthew 18 verse 21 and there is a parable here that Jesus uh, said again illustrating mercy mercy for forgiveness and unforgiveness and Jesus had a, had a way with words that was very that I'm fascinated with. Matthew 18:21. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. So then came Peter to him, Jesus, and said, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him?" Lord, what's the limit here? There's got to be a limit. I get so tired of these people that are taking bites out of me. Would 7 times be enough? You think seven times would be enough? Jesus said to him, I, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Ooh. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon his accounts, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. He had a huge bill. 
I don't know what he did. Was he building a road and it didn't pan out? I don't know what happened, but he he owed him 10,000 talents, which there's different ways to figure it, but I'm just going to say $15 million. I don't know. It might have been more than that or less. I don't know, but $15 million, and this man was totally bankrupt. He, he owned a mobile home and a beat-up pickup, and he had a family of eight children, and that's all. And how in the world is he going to pay $15 million? Anyway, that's what he owed. He owed 10,000 talents, but he had nothing to pay with. And his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and everything he had and payment to be made. And the king would end up with $60,000 maybe. I don't know what he got, but it was just pennies on the debt. And the servant was like, how am I going to pay the bill if I'm in prison and all my family's gone? And oh, he was so overcome, he just falls down and he says, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. I don't have any idea how, but he said he was going to. And the Lord, he saw him lay, kneeling down here and crying and he got to thinking about how his family would all be sold and the man would go to prison and and his debt wouldn't be satisfied anyway. And, and he, he was moved with compassion. And the Lord of that servant said, you know what? He said, I, I, can, I, I, can, I can live with this $15 million debt. He said, we're just going to write it off. We're going to just write it off. So he gets his computer pulled up and his QuickBooks invoice up there. And he just writes, paid in full gives him a receipt, and he says, you know what, go home and just live. He said, we're going to forget this. And the same servant was so happy, so relieved. He was relieved. The same servant went out, and he found, he took his receipt, stuffed it in his back pocket, and he was walking out just as light as a feather. But he went out, and he found... He found the guy that used to work for him, and he had uh, he had borrowed a hundred dollars from him to uh, buy some diapers for his family, for his little boy, and a hundred dollars, and he never paid it back. He said he was going to pay it back in two weeks, and it never did. And this has been a year ago. And all of a sudden, he sees this guy, and he remembers the hundred dollars that he paid him, and he got so angry. He runs up to him, and he grabs him around the throat, and he says, you pay me what you owe. Pay me what you owe me. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet, just like this man did. And he said, please have mercy. I will pay you all, just like this man just did. But he said, I've waited a whole year, and I'm not going to wait anymore. And he said, that's it. You are going to go to jail over this. And the other people that he worked with saw what was done, and they were extremely aggravated. They were very sorry, but I, their sense of justice was, was uh, riled up because they said, you were just forgiven $15 million dollars. And now you have a $100 debt. He said, what's wrong with you? So they 
sent, they just went back in and told the king or the lord, the, the big man. They said, you know that man that you forgave $15 million? He put a former co-worker into jail for $100. And the man said, no way. No way. He calls him back into him and he says, oh, you wicked servant. I forgave you everything, all that debt, every single penny because you asked me. I didn't owe it to you. I paid, I forgave it because you asked me. Shouldn't you have had compassion on, on, on your coworker that owed you only $100, even like I had pity on you? Shouldn't you have done that? And his Lord was wroth, which means he was very, very angry, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. He went into QuickBooks and he reversed the payment in full. And he sent him to prison. And he sent him to a special place in prison. And Jesus says, was telling Peter and everybody else that was listening, he says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That's mercy and forgiveness. But if we don't extend the same mercy that we've received, then God can't forgive. So we have a choice in that. There's also mercy in suffering. Another aspect of mercy is mercy in suffering. This would be the form that relieves the poor and it relieves suffering. And let's turn to Luke 17, verse 11. This is another example of Jesus showing mercy to the sufferers. <coughs> Luke 17, verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. <coughs> and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Look at us, we are unclean, we can't even go into town, and we can't even buy groceries, because we can't be around people. That's a terrible life, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, or when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests, which means, you know, the priests had to sign off on these lepers here if they were going to be integrated back to society. So basically Jesus was saying, You're healed and go get, that, go get the priest to sign off on it. And it came to pass that as, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. One way we can show mercy, like Christ did, is to help those that, that are in need around us. And there's people in need around us. That's a form of extending mercy. Extending mercy to someone who can't help himself is being Christ-like. It's a practical way to be Christ's hands and feet and can demonstrate his love. The other night we were in uh, Ocala, or somewhere down there, (laughs) I think it was in Ocala, that um, we were filling up with fuel and you know the scenario, this little old, this car sitting there and these people milling around and they come up and have a story. This man's story was that he was an electrician and he left his wallet in the attic of the last job he was on and he was, it was that way, he said. I was over there all the way back in this town and uh, it was only three miles away, but or five or whatever. And he said that, I left my wallet in this lady's attic, and I don't have any money for gas, and we just coasted in here. It was uphill, but we just coasted in here, and we need gas. Anything would help. Well, I don't know how you are, but when that happens quite often, actually, and there are all sorts of stories, but they all, all involve no money or losing their wallet or something. And there's something in me that just wanted to let him sit there for a while. But there's also the other side that you can put a little bit of gas in. Or you can you can you can share the money and I'll never miss it. And who knows? It might be a genuine need. And God can use that maybe to speak to him. So I often I don't give lots of money there. I just I gave I went inside and we put a few ten dollars worth in this in this vehicle. He just said he needed to get home, so I figured that was close enough to get home. And anyway, he was so grateful and he wanted yeah. He said he was going to go right back and get his wallet and. They went out and turned the opposite way, so I don't know where he went. But anyway, but that's between him and the Lord. But you have a story of the same sort, I'm sure. Every one of you has had people come and ask for money, maybe for food or for gas or for a ride or for I don't know what. But how do we respond to people? Maybe we don't think they need it, but how do we respond? That's a That was just a... a fairly recent interaction but it's a way that we can show mercy to someone who is in need turn to Luke 18 verse 9 I think it's the next chapter over so there's a Pharisee and a tax collector there's a story here and he spake this parable verse 9 of 18 
unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So the one was a Christian and one was a heathen, we could say in our language today. Uh, one man was, was uh, yeah, one man just looked ragged, he was poor, he was just definitely not one of society's finest. But the Pharisee, which in our way of looking at it would have been the, the good man, he stood and he prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, that I am not as other men are. And, oh, there's terrible people in the world, God. Thanks for making so that I'm not like them. Thanks. You know, there's extortioners out there. There's unjust ones. There's adulterers. And there's, oh, Lord, there's even, there's even this publican over here. Thank you that I'm not like him. Lord, I, I fast twice in the week. I even give tithes of everything I possess, even the salt and pepper. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven. But he just, he smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am poor. I don't have anything to give you. But just be merciful, God. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased or brought down, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, all of us need God's mercy. Without it, we have a debt so great there is no way to pay it. We would be in prison with no hope of ever getting out, just like the man that owed $15 million. He's no, there's no way he can make $15 million in prison making 35 cents a day or 80 cents a day. He couldn't live long enough for that. And we're like that if we are shackled with a debt so great that we can't pay it. We need mercy. And God in his love has extended mercy to us. He's extended mercy in judgment. He's extended mercy in forgiveness. He's extended mercy in suffering. And can't we in turn be Christ's hands and feet and show mercy to our fellow man? Can we? Because Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, the merciful, those that show mercy, receive mercy. And I was reading in Psalm 41 this morning. I'd never read this verse uh, before, but I'm going to read it here. I think it's Psalm 41, verse 1, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't in my notes here, but I'm going to turn to it. Um... It says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. 
So considering the poor and showing mercy has a way of coming back to us. In Ecclesiastes, or I think it's, I'm, Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, it says, Cast thy bread on the waters, for thou shalt, after many days, it will return unto you. Being merciful is like casting your bread on the waters. It's, it's an outworking of what Christ has done in our life. A heart that has love in it is a merciful heart. And a heart with love that is merciful, we exude mercy. But sooner or later, the tables are turned and we are in need of mercy. And if we've been in the habit of giving out mercy, other people tend to be merciful to us. And if we're in the habit of dishing out judgment, then that's usually what comes back to us. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's a little story I'd like to close with here. And I don't even know if it's a true story or not, but it's a story that I found that uh, is kind of interesting. But it says, in the middle of the Great Depression, New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia strived to live with the people. He wanted to know what it was like to live, what the people in this town were we're going through. And the Great Depression was a rough time for people, I understand. You know, in the cities, there was no work. And there was, they had, a, they had these uh, soup kitchens or bread kitchens or whatever. And there would be lines of people out there just trying to get some bread so they could go home or some food so that they could get, have something to feed their families. Because the, there was not, many, not much work. The dollar had devalued so much and businesses laid off their workers or, or folded up and the whole credit system crashed on itself. It was, it was a mess. It was a real mess. And people were, it was, it was a rough time. But the mayor, he wanted, to, he wanted to kind of identify or feel the pulse of the people and, and it was not unusual for him to ride with the firefighters or raid with the police or take field trips with orphans. So on a bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward or the poorest section of the city. And LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, and her crime was that she had stolen a loaf of bread. One loaf of bread. Or she stole some food anyway. She told the mayor that her daughter's husband had left. Her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving. However, the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, your honor, the man told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. LaGuardia was frustrated. He could see both sides of the, of, the, of the story. But he turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. It was the fine for stealing the, this bread. But even as he pronounced the sentence, 
The mayor was already reaching into his pocket, and he took out a $10 bill and tossed it into his famous hat, saying, Here is the $10 fine which I now give. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And he instructed the bailiff to collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered woman who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. And 50 cents of that amount was contributed by the grocery store owner himself, while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. And you can look that story up too, but I have no way of knowing if it's an actually true story, but it does illustrate a, a point. That sometimes there are people who are in desperate need of some help. And are we willing to share mercy with those that we come in contact with? God bless each one of you here. Let's stand for prayer.